this week. California Resources files for Chapter 11, GNC debtors file plan and disclosure statement. Reorg releases Chesapeake Waterfall, discusses bankruptcy. More on all this and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg podcast where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. And I'm Raksha Manjanath. Later, our very own Mark Fisher will provide an overview of companies that are now operating in grace periods or forbearance after skipping mid-year coupons. It's Sunday, July 19th. Los Angeles-based E&P California Resources filed for Chapter 11 on Wednesday with over $5 billion in funded debt in the Southern District of Texas after entering into an RSA with holders of roughly 84% of 2017 term loans, 51% of 2016 term loans, and Aries Management, its Elk Hill Midstream Joint Venture Partner. The company attributed the bankruptcy filing to the debt structure resulting from its 2014 spin-off from Occidental Petroleum, combined with years of deteriorating commodity prices lately exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. To finance the cases, the debtors have proposed a $1.1 billion dip facility from the RBL lenders, certain of the 2016 and 2017 term loan lenders, and Aries, consisting of about $500 million in the senior secured dip facility, 400 of which is new money, and a $650 million junior secured dip facility. The junior dip loan would be repaid in full in cash on emergence with the proceeds of a $450 million equity rights offering and $200 million second lien exit facility. In a sign that the cases will likely be contentious, the ad hoc crossover group on Friday morning filed a partially redacted objection to the dip financing. The group takes issue with the roll-up and liens on previously unencumbered property, the value of which is redacted. According to the objection, the junior dip facility, quote, is nothing more than a $650 million land grab by the ad hoc senior lender group intended to de facto cross-collateralize said secured lenders' positions with nearly redacted worth of previously unencumbered assets, putting them beyond the reach of unsecured creditors and effectively predetermining the outcome of these cases. Under the RSA, the debtor's RBL facility would be paid in full and 2017 term loan claims would be bifurcated with approximately 40% into a secured claim that would receive 91% of reorganized equity and 91% participation in the rights offering. Deficiency claims would be placed in a single class with 2016 last out term loan claims, second lien notes, and unsecured notes, and that class would receive 9% of reorganized equity and a 9% participation in the rights offering. The RSA also contemplates a settlement with Aries related to the Elk Hills Cryogenic and Power Plant joint venture. Under the proposed settlement, at emergence, the debtors would have the option to acquire Aries' interest in the JV for $300 million in new notes secured by JV assets and 21% of reorganized equity. The proposed $450 million equity rights offering would allow participants to purchase new common stock at a 35% discount to the reorganized equity value, which is listed at $1.65 billion in the term sheet, but would be reduced if future Brent crude prices trade below $40 per barrel. This week, Reorg posted a waterfall model for Chesapeake Energy to the analysis page on the website. The analysis applies a sum of the parts valuation methodology for each of Chesapeake's operating regions, which Reorg had previously discussed in greater detail. At current commodity strip pricing, Reorg provides an indicative sum of the parts asset valuation in a runoff scenario of the company's existing producing wells to be approximately $4.7 billion. 
The asset valuation model is linked to the claims waterfall, which compares the recovery rates for various creditors in an indicative absolute priority scenario with recovery rates under the contemplated plan of reorganization in accordance with the restructuring support agreement. In addition, Reorg hosted a webinar discussing the Chesapeake Chapter 11 filing, providing an overview of the contemplated plan of reorganization as outlined in the RSA, including resulting equity splits of new reorganized company, whereby rights offering participants would own 63.4% of the new common stock. Although the first day hearing was uncontested, debtors' counsel noted the RSA is supported by only 27% of unsecured note holders. In addition to reviewing contemplated plan recoveries as detailed in the waterfall model, a number of legal angles were discussed, including whether unsecured creditors could challenge Chesapeake's December 2019 up-tier exchange of certain unsecured notes for second lien notes, the implication of the debtor's proposed valuation and plan recoveries upon potential valuation and confirmation challenges, and the status of the debtor's midstream contract rejection efforts. Please ask your salesperson for a copy of the waterfall model and link to the webinar recording. The debtors in the vitamin retailer GNC's Chapter 11 cases filed a plan and disclosure statement late Wednesday that embodied their previously announced dual-track strategy of pursuing both restructuring and sale options. The plan follows the restructuring support agreement in the case with differing class treatments depending on the sale-slash-restructuring toggle, primarily affecting Class 3 Trench B2 term loan secured claims and Class 4, which includes general unsecured claims, convertible unsecured note claims, and tranche B2 term loan deficiency claims. The sales side of the toggle contemplates a $760 million stocking horse bid from Harbin. The GUC class is subject to a, quote, death trap, which beyond requiring the class to accept the plan in order to receive any recovery, also affirmatively requires that the official committee of unsecured creditors and the ad hoc group of convertible note holders do not challenge the sale transaction, dip, and trans B2 term loan liens and claims or the plan. The DS notes that the stocking horse bid with Harbin is a, quote, deal in principle subject to the definitive documentation and anticipated consent from the required sale consenting parties, the successful bidder, the required consenting term lenders, and the required philo ad hoc group members to proceed with the sale in lieu of restructuring once definitive documentation is finalized. However, the DS states, quote, in the event that the sales transaction cannot be consummated for any reason, the RSA provides the debtors and their key stakeholders with the flexibility to pivot to the restructuring side of the toggle and emerge from bankruptcy in the fall. The transaction would result in the debtors restructuring their pre-petition funded debt obligations with the proceeds of $525 million in new debt and conversion of a portion of the pre-petition funded debt into reorganized equity. Additionally, the DS says that on the effective date, the DIP ABL First Lien First Out, or FLFO, claims would be rolled into exit philo loans, and the DIP terms would be converted into exit FLFO facility loans. The DIP term roll-up loans would be converted into an exit First Lien Second Out, or FLSO, facility loans, the DS says. Holders of allowed tranche B2 term loan secured claims would receive their pro rata share of 100% of the new common equity and the loans under the exit FSLO facility. On the island of Puerto Rico, on Wednesday, the Promesa Oversight Board disclosed in a status report to the Title III Court that it has resumed discussions with the Commonwealth regarding a plan of adjustment. 
According to the report, quote, the Oversight Board anticipates that in the coming weeks, the Oversight Board and FF shall entertain discussions with creditors, that is, those party to the plan and support agreement, as amended on March 13th and April 1st, 2020, as well as other parties in interest, with the guidance of the mediation team, led by the Honorable Judge Barbara J. Hauser, to address the new reality created by the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the status report states that, quote, while the Oversight Board has resumed planned discussions because of the fluid situation on the island, the Oversight Board is unprepared at this time to propose a schedule for the debtor's plan of adjustment and disclosure statement processes. On Thursday, the Promesa Oversight Board Executive Director Natalie Jarasco said that the feasibility of the current PREPA restructuring support agreement remains under evaluation during an ongoing pause in the proceedings due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but stressed the importance of moving the utility towards a consensual Title III exit. Quote, I'm not saying that the RSA is feasible today. We're still evaluating. Jarasco said during the final interview of a three-day Puerto Rico grid revitalization forum, noting that the PREPA restructuring process remains on hold, with a second status report due in the Title III court on July 31st. The oversight board that authorized representative of the utility as debtor in the Title III case has halted PREPA's debt restructuring proceedings as it and other parties analyzed the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the RSA and future financial and economic projections. Jarasco also discussed ongoing efforts to transform the island's energy sector, pointing to the agreement with Luma Energy to run PREPA's grid as a big step in that process, and touched on the utility's proposed Integrated Resource Plan, or IRP, as well as the Puerto Rico Energy Bureau, among others. And although she voiced frustration over the Commonwealth government's lack of movement towards structural reforms that she said are key to the island's competitiveness and economic development, Jaraska pointed to the energy reform as, quote, one that is moving along quite well. Other top stories last week were Multiplan reaches agreement to combine with public investment vehicle Churchill Capital, Briggs & Stratton Chapter 11 filing to include $550 million stocking horse bid from KPS Capital Partners, ABL lenders to provide dip financing including $265 million philo ABL with roll-up, Grappling with potential solvency issues and scrutiny from Judge Owens, 24-hour fitness debtors adjourn hearing on dip. And now, as always, here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Well, thank you and good morning and great balls of fire. What an interesting time to be alive, ain't it? Now, let me just begin with my usual reminder to please check out our weekly forward, released early every Monday morning, which has a more complete accounting of the week's happenings with commentary by our crack legal team. And to get right to it, Monday, July 20th, hearing in Mission Coal and what's more significant for people down in my neck of the woods, earnings from Halliburton this second quarter is probably the toughest for the oil patch since, I don't know, the bust in the mid-80s. For those of y'all with memories back that far, I personally was living in Alaska and wasting my youth as a hunting and fishing guide, among other things. Also had Baker Hughes reporting on Wednesday and Schlumberger on Friday. But before that, Tuesday, July 21st, there's a motion to dismiss hearing in CERTA, omnibus hearing in PG&E, and an omnibus hearing in ACORN. Wednesday, July 22nd, omnibus hearings in 24-hour fitness, global cloud and Dean Foods, and a status further conference, excuse me, further scheduling conference with respect to Sanchez Energy, the Buddenbrooks of South Texas, and a confirmation hearing in Murray Met. And earnings from Tesla with a call at 530, Mr. Musk, let's get that Mars colonization thing going ASAP, please. 
and CBL. There's a forbearance expiration. Thursday, July 23rd, forbearance expiration for Jay Jill. Stay relief hearing in Jay Crew. A second day hearing in Sable Permian. Tender offer expiration from Occidental Petroleum and earnings from Mattel, American Airlines, and Scientific Games. Friday, July 24th, there's a planned confirmation hearing in Skillsoft, sale hearing in McClatchy, and a rejection motion hearing in Ultra Petroleum. And that's all from me. Up next, companies that skip coupons and that are operating under forbearances. Thanks. With the number of large bankruptcies continuing to rise, we wanted to focus today on some of the companies that can make up the next round. And the place to start are those companies that have recently skipped coupon payments and are, and are in grace periods or beyond those periods and are now operating under forbearance agreements with creditors. So first, let's discuss Chaparral Energy. It dates back to April 6th when the stack-focused EMP had its borrowing base cut almost in half to $175 million, which was below the $250 million that the company had borrowed, creating a deficiency that Chaparral had to repay in six equal monthly installments. The company made the first payment on May 1st, but announced that it engaged both legal and financial advisors to review and evaluate strategic alternatives. In order to preserve cash, Chaparral in the second quarter began to shut in substantially all non-essential oil production and will increase storage at its operated well sites, which CEO Chuck Daginsky said would allow the company, quote, to be positioned for a rapid restart of sales when prices recover. It's unclear how much was shut in, but Daginsky said on the first quarter call that absent a price recovery, some 70% to 77% of the company's production could be shut in by late June or early July. On July 15th, the company elected not to make the approximately 13.1 million interest payment with respect to the eight and three quarter senior notes due 2023 and entered a grace period uh, on the notes which expires on August 14th. Although the company also entered into a forbearance agreement related to the missed coupon with lenders that expires on July 29th. Sticking with EMPs, Denberry Resources skipped an $8 million interest payment on its six and three eighths convertible notes on June 30th, entering into a 30 day grace period. Interestingly, a few days before, on June 26th, the company entered into an amendment to its credit agreement, which reaffirmed the borrowing base of $615 million, but temporarily, until the fall redetermination, capped the maximum availability to the sum of $275 million, plus the total amount of outstanding letters of credit, up to a maximum of $100 million. Denberry then borrowed $200 million under the credit facility, bringing total borrowings to $265 million. The company subsequently skipped the interest payment on July 15th due on its four and five-eighths convertible notes. Rioja previously reported that Denberry is working with Kirkland and Evercore. Staying with energy but moving offshore, driller Valeris continues to extend the forbearance agreements with its lenders following the company skipping interest payments on its senior notes beginning with the June 1 coupon, but subsequent skips on June 15th and July 15th on other debt. Valeris has announced that it is, quote, evaluating various alternatives to address its capital structure and annual interest costs, including, without limitation, a comprehensive debt restructuring that may require a substantial conversion of our indebtedness to equity. On the company's first quarter call, it said that most customers had asked for some form of contract modifications and that new inquiries for contracts were down 50%. Four existing contracts have been canceled and Valeris said that it had agreed to modify several other contracts. While other reported similar cancellations when they reported first quarter results, recent fleet reports from competitors Noble Corp and Transocean were a little more balanced. 
Speaking of Noble Corp, it too skipped the interest payment due on its seven and three quarters senior notes on July 15th. The company says it has elected to use the 30-day grace period to evaluate strategic alternatives and, quote, is actively engaged in discussions with certain of its creditors regarding a potential consensual restructuring transaction. No agreement has been reached and the company cannot provide any assurance whether or when the company will reach an agreement with such creditors or as to the terms of any such agreement. So now with energy done, let's switch to retail. Taylor Brands, owner of the men's warehouse, elected not to make the interest payment due and payable on July 1st of approximately $6.1 million with respect to its 7% senior notes due 2022 and has elected to enter into a 30-day grace period. The company did make its scheduled interest payments required under its credit facilities and said that it was current with respect to its interest and principal payment obligations thereunder under those credit facilities. The company, which had $244 million of cash and equivalents on May 2nd, plus available Availability under its revolver of $88.8 million. The company stated that its ABL facility contains certain provisions that permit the lenders to assume control of cash and that trigger a financial maintenance covenant in each case of availability falls below uh, various thresholds. The company said that it would, quote, continue to actively manage its liquidity and to engage with its lenders and other stakeholders with respect to the same. Taylor Brands also disclosed that during the first quarter, it notified vendors that due to the impact of COVID-19, the company is extending payment terms by 90 days until further notice. The company also suspended rent payments for April and May operating leases and negotiated rent deferrals for a large number of stores, with repayment to be due at later dates, which it said would be beginning at the end of 2020 into 2021. The company said it expects to continue to explore and take these and similar actions with respect to landlords. Which, of course, brings us to a landlord and wall owner, CBL and Associates, skipped its first coupon on June 1st, an $11.8 million interest payment with respect to the operating partnership's five and a quarter percent senior unsecured notes due 2023. The company reported that in January, it engaged Weil Gotchel and Molis to assist the company in exploring several alternatives to reduce overall leverage and interest expense and to extend the maturity of its debt, among other things. The company's advisors recently commenced discussions with advisors to certain holders of its senior unsecured notes and the credit committee of the company's senior secured credit facility. On June 15th, it skipped the payment due on its 5.95% senior unsecured notes due 2026. On July 1 and July 15th, after the expiration of the 30-day grace period, CBL entered into forbearance agreements with its lenders and creditors, each of which expired July 22nd. And that's the latest we have on CBL. So that covers uh, a few companies to look out for, which, uh, of course, we will, uh, especially as we enter earnings season now. We'll hear what the companies have to say. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, Nirek, back to you. Thanks again for listening. Find all of our podcasts on the site media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And as always, we hope you and your families are healthy and safe.